Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Amen. It's good to see everybody. We got some faces that haven't been with us uh, for a couple months, so it's good to see our friends that have, have come out of the woodwork and are back. Um, we want to continue to be uh, conscientious of people who are, you know, trying to protect themselves from, from illness. Um, we got a couple pregnant ladies in uh, Kaya, and so we just want to make sure that we're being aware of that. I love you guys. Uh, just be wise and be smart, and we're going to trust your uh, discretion as far as that goes. Um, I also want to thank Uriah and Eric for filling in the gaps while I was gone. Appreciate you guys. Um, I had the opportunity uh, to, to listen to those message, uh, the messages this last week, and they were very, very encouraging, and I'm, I'm very, very thankful for all of you guys that are willing to step up uh, whenever, whenever I need someone to preach. We did have a very refreshing time. We usually get one family vacation a year. And so we went out to South Dakota and, and stayed in the, in the Black Hills. I don't know if you've ever been out there before, but it, but it was really good for us. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm thankful for everybody and all the ways that you hold down the fort. And uh, it's good for me because um, I can always look and see, you know, how people have grown. And, uh, and this is a very responsible group of people, and, and I'm, I'm really thankful for the way God has matured you and all the leaders that we have in ministry. Um, thank you. That's, I just want to say thank you. Um, but we are going to get in God's Word today. I'm excited about it. I hope that you are. We're in the middle of a two-part series that we're referring to as an unbreakable and unshakable mission's mind. Okay? An unbreakable and unshakable mission's mind. This is part two of that message. And, uh, and if you need to go back and listen to part one, I invite you to do that. That link is on our Facebook page. If you need the PowerPoint for today's message, you can get that on our website, kaya.live. Uh, if you need to follow along um, at your own pace. Now, we want to look here at our story and consider our examples, our models, Paul and Silas in this story. Um, they're here for us as an example of what it looks like to deal with really scary situations that we face in life, trials, tribulations, seasons of darkness, and, and, and Acts is riddled with these stories these situations uh, where Paul finds himself in hardship. And as we look at his life, the one thing that I always ask myself is how? How does he do it? How is it that time and time again he is brave, he is stalwart, he is tough in the face of his enemies? It's amazing. I mean, the, the guy is just brazen in every regard. And when I look at his life and I, I, I think about my life, I think about how my life is like so timid and scared all the time. I was debating about whether or not to tell you this story. I was thinking about what's a good example of, of how scared I am. And I came up with a very embarrassing thing to tell you. So you, you prepared for that? Yes. Growing up, okay, you won't, maybe you won't believe this, but it's absolutely true. I was super shy, very, very shy. And uh, we would go, you know, about once a month after church on Sundays, we would go to Wendy's because that's what a a single mother of three children could afford was the 99-cent menu at Wendy's. And so we would go to Wendy's, and uh, we would we'd get to choose three things from off the 99-cent menu, okay? 
So we'd get in line, and my, my, my brother, who was younger than me, was always the very first to order. That's for two reasons. A, he was loud, and B, he was a little overweight. He was a pudgy young man, and he was very excited about, about ordering a junior bacon cheeseburger. So he was the first to order, and then it would be my sister, and then it would come time for me to order. And I was, I was so shy and so embarrassed and so scared of being judged that I, I couldn't speak. And it wasn't until I was about 11 or 12 that I, actually, I could actually place orders for myself at restaurants. Isn't that crazy? Aww. Yeah, you don't, re- you don't really feel bad for me. You're just like, that's disturbing. But that was my thing. Like, I was scared. And, and, and we live in a world, I just want to point this out. You guys can relate to this at some level, certainly. There are things that you have been afraid of or you are afraid of in this world. This world today, fear has become nominal. Anxiety, depression, despair, these are things that our world considers to be absolutely normal, but in a biblical worldview, they're completely abnormal. There's no room for fear. You understand? Last night at about three in the morning, I heard Shepard yelling from his room, and he's at the age now where that doesn't happen very often. So I get up, you know, I go into his room, and I peek in, and he's got the light on, and he said, Dad, I, I had a bad dream. Okay, yeah, he's eight, you know. He had a bad dream, and he was scared. And so I, I, had to, I said two things to him. It was all it took was I had to say two things to him. The first thing was, hey, buddy, dreams aren't real. Dreams aren't real. In other words, your fears, they're not real. They're made up. They're figments of your imagination. You just woke up suddenly, and you're, you're caught up in your own imagination, and you're stuck there. Buddy, dreams aren't real. The second thing is God is real. God is real. And he's, he's there for you. He's your friend. And so that's all I had to say to him. And I, I said, good night. I love you. I shut the door. This morning I went into his room to wake him up. And, uh, and he was asleep, face down on his Bible. Now, <clears throat> I say that to say this. When we look at God's word and we look at the stories of the men and the women in Scripture, the ones of faith, we're reminded that there is nothing to be afraid of. And that it's absolutely possible for us to have an unbreakable and unshakable mindset as it concerns the mission of God and how He perceives us and how we live from day to day in any given circumstance. We can live in that power. We too can have an unshakable mind. I want to pray real quick. Can I do that? I just want to pray again. I feel a little rusty being out of the pulpit for a couple weeks, so I'm going to ask God's blessing on my mouth and and my mind. Heavenly Father, Lord, I I love you, and I'm thankful again for this opportunity. And and Lord, I, I believe you. And even if I do feel rusty, I know that you have the ability to speak through me. It's not anything that I could ever do. Uh, I can't can't even study enough to ensure your favor on this message. All I could do is pray and ask that you would go before me, and you'll do that regardless of how polished I am today, and you'll do that regardless of of how weak I feel. You'll do that. I believe you for that. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would speak to the hearts of the people in this room. Lord, I pray that you would make them first and foremost missions-minded, that they would desire to live the Great Commission, that they would desire to preach the gospel everywhere they go. And as they do that, Lord, I'm certain that they're going to face things that bring them fear. And they're going to face things that that, that shake them at their heart and and at their mind. And Lord, as they face those circumstances, Lord, I pray that you would allow them to fight through that in the knowledge of who you are and, and the power 
and the might of your holy and righteous and gracious hand. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would bless them and provoke them and cause them to believe today because of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas are in Philippi. They're in Philippi, and, uh, which is a, a, a European uh, c- city. And, um, and so they're there. They're preaching the gospel. We've talked about all the things that they ran into that kind of seemed unexpected and bizarre. Uh, it hasn't been what, what they would maybe perceive as a great missions trip thus far. Um, they just recently ran into a woman, a damsel, uh, who was possessed by a devil. She was a soothsayer. She was a diviner in the city of Philippi. She had a couple bosses. They worked together. And, um, and they made tons of money telling the fortunes of the people in the city of Philippi. And this woman uh, desired to associate herself with what was going on in the ministry of Paul and Silas. She recognized some degree of power with them. And Satan used her uh, to confuse and muddy the waters for ministry. And so you have this demon-possessed woman following Paul and Silas around, declaring that these men have the gospel of salvation, that they have a message of power that can deliver people from their sin. She's saying a truth, right? We, we acknowledge this in the previous sermons. She's preaching a truth, a message that we all ought to preach. The problem was, is that her demonism was a confusion to the ministry and the work of Paul. So... He wasn't going to put up with the distraction. Now, I want to say this. Satan is always seeking to distract the work of the ministry. He wants to disturb it. He wants to mingle and muddle the water. That's what he wants to do. And so we have to be prepared to respond to that. We have to accept that as a fact of our ministry. You're going to run into people that, God, or that Satan wants to use to confuse your, you know, Sam talked about it in the, in the, last, uh, in the last message. People are going to show up to your Bible studies, and these people will be evil workers. And we have to be ready to deal with that. You understand? It's going to be a fact of ministry. The enemy is looking for ways to distract and disturb the clarity of your witness. Now, so Paul turns around, and he rebukes this demon. And the demon, within the hour, flees away. Now, in that moment, the business, the fortune-telling business in Philippi dries up. Right? And the bosses of this woman, okay, her partners in this work, are very, very frustrated. They're very, very frustrated. They're fearful of their pockets. And so another thing we discovered in this story is that the world is always ready to face off when the gospel troubles their institutions and their livelihood. The world is going to be ready to face off against you Anytime that you trouble their cultures, their identities, their institutions, and their livelihood, they're going to be ready to go up against you. And so her business partners were exceptionally angry. And they came and they confronted Paul and Silas in the public space with the intent, this is their intent, that these men never be allowed to preach the gospel in Philippi again. That's their intention. And so they hold a little sham trial in the street. They bring some magistrates in. There's a little street-side prosecution. And they take Paul and Silas away. Now here's the other thing that we need to know is the enemy is always looking for ways to restrain and restrict the going of your witness. And so he's not only trying to disturb and distract the clarity of your witness, but he's also looking to restrain and restrict the going of your witness. 
Verse 22 of chapter 16 says, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes. They, they tore the clothes off the back of Paul and Silas and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So as a result of this, a result of their decision to stand for Jesus Christ in the name of the gospel, they're beaten to a bloody pulp, and their feet are restrained in the stocks. And so, so it's at this moment that I ask you to consider for a moment, as our story has unfolded up to this point, I want you to, for a moment to, to put yourself in the place of Paul and Silas. I want you to imagine for a moment what it would be like if you were put in this situation Contextualize it for a moment. Imagine what it would be like to have been arrested for preaching the gospel. To be, to be put in a prison cell, bloody and beaten. To have your feet fast in the stocks. Would you be scared? Would you ask yourself, well, well what's next for me? Would, you, would, you, would your mind be focused on, well, how do I get out of this situation? What are, the, what are all the thoughts that would be coming to your mind? Is there a way of escaping this? What card can I play next? Perhaps we can get someone to advocate for us. What are all the things that you would be looking in your mind to get done? Right? Would you be scheming? Would you be plotting? But here we observe Paul and Silas, they're not afraid. They're not scared. And this is because they have an unshakable and unbreakable mission's mind. They've convinced themselves that what Christ has taught is absolutely true. They're convinced. They're brainwashed, if you will, if I may use that term. I think it's fair to use that term. I would like to be brainwashed for the gospel's sake. To me, that just means conformity to Christ. See, being unshakable and unbreakable has everything to do with your mind. It has everything to do with your mind. And last time we were together, we looked at this passage in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. It says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And so we, we looked at this passage and we, we reminded ourselves of three things. First of all, there's a mindset that comes with knowing who you are and who, are, are, who you represent, right? Who you represent in light of Christ, what your identity in his, is in him. There's a mindset that comes with knowing Jesus. Second, there's a mindset that comes with knowing where you're going to go when you die. What can you be afraid of if you know that your eternal destination is paradise? That's preferable to this, right? That's not, a, that's not a big step for me in my mind. Paradise is preferable to this. Third, there's a mindset that comes with knowing the company that you keep. In other words, there's a mindset that comes with knowing that my brothers and sisters that stand with me have the same mind, and the ones that have gone before me have the same mind. And we all stand ready to be persecuted for the gospel's sake. We're ready to do that. And that's a mindset. That's a way of thinking. When you're conformed to Christ for the sake of his mission, this is the way you think. Now, 
With that said, I want to suggest to you that if you believe Christ's words, if you're convinced of these same things, that there isn't anywhere in this world that you can't go with the gospel. I mean, think about it. Right? All of the lines in the sand that you've put before Christ and said, well, I'll do anything but that. I'll go anywhere but there. Those lines, they disappear pretty quickly when you know who, you, who represents you, where you're going when you die, and who stands with you. Those, those concepts, those, those delineations, they begin to dry up. You can do anything if Christ goes with you. You understand? But you have to believe that. If you don't believe that, then you're going to stand in fear. And there will always be a line in the sand. There will always be a boundary marker where you're telling Jesus, I won't go this far. I'll do everything on this side of the fence. That's cool, God. But I'm not going beyond that. But that's not a mission's mind. That means that you're shakable, that you're breakable. No, when, I, when you really know God and when you have his mind, there isn't any person that you can't preach to. There isn't any situation that can trouble you. You understand? But there's more to this mindset. There's more to this mindset. We see it clearly in what Paul and Silas do next. What they do next is an absolute freakout. And it flies in the face of what anybody in this room would probably do. Verse 23, And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received, received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feast, feet fast in the stocks. Right? We read that. But look at verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Key point number one. The missions-minded believer has a heart bent to prayer and praise regardless of circumstance. You know, it's midnight in the prison of Philippi, the darkest moment of the day. A picture of tribulation. Right? I mean, there's no darker moment within a 24-hour period than midnight. You understand? It's a picture of tribulation. It's a picture of the lost world. And yet these men who have unlocked the biblical mindset of a missionary choose to lift their voices in prayer and praise. Can you imagine at first? They start to pray very silently, perhaps at a whisper. But slowly, as their faith builds within them, their prayers begin to give way to song. And as they continue to sing, they get louder and they get louder until the whole entire prison cell is filled with the praises of these men. In 1948, Romanian evangelical pastor Richard Wormbrandt, having become a Christian just 10 years earlier, publicly stated that communism was a threat to Christianity. As a result, he was captured, imprisoned, and tortured by the communist regime of Romania for his faith. 
After serving a total of 14 years, he was eventually ransomed for his freedom. Okay, so Richard Wormbrandt, an evangelical minister who believes much the way that we do, a missions-minded individual, spoke up for his faith, and he was in prison for 14 years. He was beaten. In fact, there was recently a movie made about the book that he wrote called Tortured for Christ. I don't know if you saw it or not. It's worth, it's worth watch, watching. Um, but in the book, he says this really interesting thing. He says lots of interesting things. He makes this very interesting statement about the mindset of someone who's in prison for their devotion to Christ. It goes a little bit like this. He says, often, uh, he's re- recounting things. Often after a secret service, you know, Christians would, in, in Romania at this time would have to do services in secret, right? And after a, a, a secret service, a worship service, Christians were caught and sent to prison. And there, speaking of the prison, Christians wear chains with the gladness with which a bride wears a precious jewel received from her beloved. Now, I've had the privilege of marrying a lot of people this summer. There'll be several more by the, by the end's year that I get to the privilege of doing that with. And oftentimes when I see two people who love each other standing in front of each other, getting ready to say their vows, ready to be married and be together for the, the rest of their lives, the joy on their faces is just ridiculous. <laughs> they're giddy, they're slap happy. I mean, Chance and Kenna was, that was the last wedding I did and it was just so joyous to see Chance's face as Kenna came to him. And with that same joy, these devoted followers of Jesus Christ wore the chains of bondage and yet carried every bit the smile that Chance had for his bride. That's a mindset. There's a mindset that allows you to have joy in the midst of darkness. And so the next question for us should be, well, what does it take to have joy like that in a time of trouble? When when things have come up against my mission, against my ministry, against my life, when when Satan is tempting me to be distracted, disturbed, restrained, and restricted, how is it that I come to that place? I want to suggest that it isn't you that can shake that off. That fear, you you don't have the ability, you don't have it in you to shake off that fear or shake off that despair or shake off that frustration. You don't have it in you. Are you to beat yourself in the chest and convince yourself of something that you don't really believe? It's not in you. See, I want to suggest to you that in your darkest moment, the proper Christian impulse is to sing. It's to sing. It's not to scheme. It's not to plot. It's not to find a way of escape. It's not to dilute yourself of something that you don't actually believe. It's to sing to your God. I love what Elihu says, the wise young friend of Job. In Job 35.10 he says, But none saith, where is God my maker who giveth songs in the night? Okay, let me, let me give you the logic here. 
There's no person who's, who's willing to sing to God in the darkness of night who says to themselves, where is my God? Any person that, that cries out in their moment of despair and they sing praises to the Lord will be convinced that God is with them. That's the byproduct of singing praises to the Lord. You understand? And nothing can come up against that. Psalm 105, verses 1 through 4 say, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing songs, uh, psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. I love this passage, Psalm 42, verses 6 to 11. Say, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites, from the hill Mizar, deep calleth unto deep. At the noise of thy water spouts, all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me. And my prayer unto the, unto the God of my life, I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forsaken me? Why go, why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. I think this is what scripture is telling us. Key point number two. Prayer and praise stir our heart and mind to remember our God is also our friend. Prayer and praise, they stir something up within us. And we find ourselves in those places, within that spiritual discipline, convinced that God is not just God, but He's the lover of our souls. He's our deep and intimate friend. See, remember, Paul and Silas are in the midst of pain here, right? They're in the midst of pain. This is no typical worship set, friends. These bloody and beaten men sing not because they feel warm and fuzzy. Like a lot of us can, are convinced that when we come into the sanctuary to worship with one another, that what we're looking for is some sort of warm and fuzzy feeling. Now, if you get that, that's all good. But that's not the objective. See, what these men are doing here, they're declaring war. You understand? They're beaten, they're bloody, and everyone, and if, by, by any stretch of the imagination, would look at these men, and they would say to these th themselves, these men are defeated foes. They're down for the count. It is over for them. Satan has won. And so singing in this moment is not some sort of like Hillsong YouTube video. 
which we all watch from time to time. Because <laughs> we, we like the warm and fuzzy feelings, right? Listen to me. Friends, this is a declaration of war. They're looking the enemy in the eye and they're saying, not today. See, the Bible reminds us that it is in the Christian's nature to sing and to pray to God in order to be drawn out of despair, hopelessness, and fear. You know, some of you who struggle with depression, I would ask that you would consider something very serious. I'm going to make a proposition to you today. For those of you who regularly struggle with fear, anxiety, and depression, I want to ask something for for you to pray about and consider something. I would suggest that you ought to join the choir. I think that you should consider joining our church choir. And the choice might very well deliver you from despair. And here's the reason why. Because first and foremost, it's going to force you to get out of your comfort zone. It's going to force you to do that. When you stand in front of the church and you lead people in worship, it's going to force you out of a place of comfort. And it's going to start training your mind to not be afraid. But second of all, it's going to force you to rehearse the praises of the Lord over and over and over and over. Well, Eric is going to force you (laughs) to learn the praises of the Lord over and over and over and over again. So listen to me. I want you to know something. The people on the worship team, the testimony that I often hear from people who are involved with worship is that when they don't know what to do, they sing. That's what we ought to do. Every single one of us. Our hearts should be so bent towards praising God. That in the moments that feel confusing and unsure, the natural response is to pray and to praise in our car while we're driving, on our knees in our bedroom. It's to rehearse the praises of our God that are so familiar to us. This is what Charles Spurgeon says. Any fool can sing in the day. It's easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful stager is he who can sing when there's not a ray of light to read. Songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of men. To learn to sing fearlessly to God will produce the urge to sing in every moment including in darkness and fear. So here we find the passion for praise on the lips of Paul and Silas. They have a passion to do it. It's the, it's the natural response of their heart. It's who they are. It's their mindset. Next, we see that there's a public nature to praise. There's a public aspect to our worship. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the, and the prisoners heard those praises. They heard them. It's important to note that that something is conveyed when these bloody and beaten men begin to to lift their voices to God. Something is conveyed. A message is conveyed. Our praise and our prayer has the power to preach. 
See, all these other prisoners that are surrounding them in the cells that night, the ones that are lost and they're dying and they're going to go to hell, they hear those voices and they stand a stark contrast to the reality of their lives. Suddenly their sin has found them out. And they can hear the hopefulness of Paul and Silas from across the cells. They, they, they know what these men are up against. They know their physical state. And yet they hear them worship. That preaches, folks. When Paul and Silas choose to make their worship, pu worship public, then it demands the attention of the lost around them and it tempts them to thirst for what we have. It tempts them to thirst for what we have. So here's key point number three. Prayer and praise stir the hearts and minds of those who witness its blessing. They stir the hearts of the people, the lost people around us. When we come together in this sanctuary, you know there's all kinds of people that gather with us on a Sunday morning. Some of them are saved, some of them are lost. Some of them are saved, but they feel hopeless. They, they feel despair. When we come together, something happens. I, I can look across the pew and I can see someone that looks like me. They're standing here just as I'm standing here. They're reading the words on the PowerPoint and they're singing them just as I'm doing that right now. And what happens is we're joined together in unity and I am stirred to faith by the worship of the people that surround me. Something happens when we praise. It preaches. Now here's the question for you. How public is your prayer and your praise? Now I don't mean public like the Pharisees who prayed so that everybody could see their piety and how spiritual they were and they had an ulter ulterior motivation. Now I'm talking about the humility of open prayer and praise how public is it are praise and prayer a seamless part of your life do you ask the lost at work to join you in prayer do you ever do that hey could I pray for you about that some of you some of you that's so far outside of the way that you think Do you declare the goodness of God out loud in front of the lost? Do you tell the lost people at school, look, you know what God did for me today? This is so cool. I just want to tell you about this. No, you don't. And the reason you don't is because you're afraid. Because you don't have a mission's mind. You don't understand the value of praise. How public is your faith? How public is it really if you're not willing to declare his goodness and seek his face anytime, anywhere, and with anyone? I think some of us need to make a decision today that our Christianity is not going to be compartmentalized. Our praise and our prayer life is not going to be relegated to a Tuesday night. It will be a constant aspect of who we are Regardless of who we stand next to, lost or saved. Be why? Because it preaches and because your God deserves it. Listen again to what Wormbrand says about his public ministry in the prisons. Listen to this. Check this out. This is crazy. It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. 
as you can imagine, in a communist prison cell. It was forbidden. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching, so we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached, and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. What what he's saying here is that torture was a fair trade to make the gospel public. You understand? That's an unshakable, unbreakable mind. Here, Paul and Silas sit with their feet in the stocks. They can't go. They can't go on their mission. They can't leave. They can't come and go from the prison cell. For all intents and purposes, their mission was completely suspended. But listen, their ministry wasn't. Will you let your love for Jesus be public? Next, the power of praise. The power of praise. So we've talked about the passion of praise. The passion of of prayer and singing to the Lord. And we've talked about the public nature of our praise, how it should be a seamless aspect of our lives. We should take it everywhere we go. We should be offering prayer to anyone, anytime, all the time. But let's talk about the power of it for a second. Verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. I mean, that's not like any earthquake I've ever known of. The building doesn't fall down, the doors all open up, and the locks fall off their their bonds. That's a really interesting earthquake. I would have to, I would have to assess that as a supernatural act. Would you concur? Listen, that fly, Sam's right, that fly is satanic. The spirit of the damsel (laughs) resides. Okay. Rebuke you. (sighs) Listen. It was the praise and the worship and the shout of the trump that brought the walls of Jericho down. Joshua 6.20 says, So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. It was the cries of God's glory that went before Gideon's men when they brought down the Midianites, Judges 7.20, and the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers, and held the lamps in their hands and the trumpets in their right hand to blow withal, and they cried, the sword of the Lord. That's what they cried. Wow, that's cool. The sword of the Lord. And of Gideon, and they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the hosts ran and cried and fled. It was the praises of Jehoshaphat's army that invited the ambush of God's mighty hand. Second Chronicles 20.20 And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and, and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God 
so shall ye establish, believe as prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and said, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and, and to praise the Lord, set ambushes against, uh, and praise the Lord set ambushes against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. To Jehoshaphat, it was so important that the army was actually led by praise musicians. Can you imagine our choir leading an army? They like have no weapons, but they're like at the very front, marching into battle. Right? I just imagine like Man Kit and Liza Wilbur, they're just like, Jesus loves me. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's a picture for us. The praise ought to go before us. Because it has power. It has power to bring down the enemies of God. Paul and Silas' songs in that prison cell were all that the stone and mortar could handle. When God's people magnify him, then midnight gives way to dawn. Our praise and our prayer pushes, pushes us past our worldly entanglements and into spiritual opportunity. Spiritual opportunity. What I mean by that is that the open door that they needed from the very beginning of their missions trip comes on the other side of the prison doors being opened. See, the praise and the worship, it did something that day. It didn't just unlock the doors of the prison cells. It unlocked the heart of a prison jailer whose whole house would come to the Lord because of this moment. Key point number four, prayer and praise stirs the heart of our God to open doors for his children. We ought to be praying and praising because we want to be used. Do you want to be used? Paul and Silas were desperate to be used. Do you desire open doors of, of ministry opportunities to share the gospel? Paul and Silas were, Silas were desperate for open doors to the lost. They were desperate for that. Do you want to have an eternal impact for Jesus Christ? Paul and Silas were desperate for an eternal impact. So I have a question for you. Do life's trials cause you to forget the mission? I mean, I know, I know this because of the amount of counseling that I do in this ministry. Listen to me. Some of you, the wrong thing happens at work. Your parents say the wrong thing. Get, you get a bad grade at school. You lose your job. These things throw many of us into despair, and we lose complete focus on the mission that God has given us. We completely lose track. We forget our identity. Our mindset that was once seemed so grounded and so sure, and our passion seemed so sure, our desires seemed so sure, we lose all of that along the way. And what I suggest to you today, 
is if you want a missions mind, that you ought to learn how to pray and praise. See, this is incredibly relevant. What happens to you when life is hard? You get rejected. Someone treats you poorly. How would you respond if you faced death for your faith? Would you? Do you? Run to God in praise? You know, last week we saw that an unshakable mission's mind was to trust in the promises of the Lord. That's what Matthew 5 was about. Do you guys see that? It was about a mindset based on truth, promises that were given to us. A mission's mind requires a truth that we can hold on to. But listen to me. I want to suggest something else to you today as well. A mission's mind is a mind for worship. Key point number five, an unshakable, unbreakable mission's mind is shaped by one's ability to yield to worship. Look, life, life is complicated. My life, complicated, hard, painful. There's lots of things that I, fear, that I fear in life. There's no way that I can navigate the midnight of my faith. And that's why I pray. It's why I do it. It's the reason I sing the songs that I sing. It's the reason that I listen to music that I would never otherwise listen to, folks. I'll get in my car and I will turn on Caleb with the hope that that one song comes on. I mean, because I have to praise him. I have to praise him. My, my mind, my heart, my peace, my, my witness require I be a person of prayer and praise. Does your life reflect praise to God? Does your life depend on prayer? Whether or not you sing and pray to God in times of trouble has everything to do with whether or not doors are going to open for you in ministry. I believe that. So here's the conclusion of our message today. This is what I'd ask of you. If you know that these spiritual disciplines are deficient in you, and you know that there's a joy that you're missing... then I would say that something needs to change. And I would make a decision today to consecrate yourself to find seasons of prayer every single day. And, and I, would, I would make excuses to sing all of the cheesiest worship songs any time that you can. I would say, suggest that it's time for some of you to join our praise team because you need to learn the art of worship. I mean, I, I, don't th I think Uriah and Eric would both say that they don't mind having 100 people on their team. They'd find a way to make that work. We have to learn to let worship be the impulse of our life. Everything else will just take care of itself. But who wants, does anybody else want the depression, despair, and fear to just lift and go away? I do. Oh, I'm telling you that this is the mindset that will see that happen in your life. We don't have, oddly enough, we don't have time to sing in praise as we go. We're out of time because the other, the other service has to begin. But I am going to pray. 
And I do think we have enough time that if you have something that you need to deal with, you know that something's not right. Some of you listen to this message, message today and you say, I don't even know Jesus. What you're talking about sounds so freaking crazy to me. Guys in prison cells beaten bloody for the name of Jesus, for the gospel. I don't know what that's about, but I'm intrigued. There are people in this room who want to talk to you about it. So make sure that you do that before you leave. But listen to me, we're going to pray. And next week when we come together as Kaya, we're going to do an extra long worship set. And I want you to unlock something between now and then. If there's something that has been inhibiting you to freedom in your worship, and there's something stifling you, like when we come together, you know that there's a restriction, there's a, thing, there's a line that you're just not willing to cross. I'm not talking about being a distraction or disturbing other people around you, because then you'll be like the damsel, right? You don't want to be like the damsel. What I'm saying is that there's an aspect of your worship, like, if, like what would keep you from lifting your hands in worship? What would keep you from really meditating on the cross as you're singing? What would keep you from sitting down for a moment and weeping before the Lord? What would keep you from, like, from doing anything besides just reading those freaking words one more Sunday off the PowerPoint? That does nothing to stir the heart of our Lord. It's time for us to learn the art of worship. And that means being vulnerable before God and not caring necessarily about what people think about you. Can we praise that way? I believe as a ministry, God will begin to use us in a new way. That he'll open new doors if we allow ourselves to be like this before his throne. Are you guys with me? Yeah. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Acts chapter 16. Lord, I pray that you would help me personally learn how to be be better at coming before you intimately in prayer, coming before you in praise and worship, that I would find reasons to sing, that I wouldn't say things like, oh, that song is stuck in my head again, that I would say, oh, God, that song, it belongs to you. I'm so glad that it's stuck in my head. It belongs to you. I want it to belong to you. I want to lift it before you, Lord, that in times of despair, frustration, fear, that I would learn to praise, that I would learn to worship, that I would learn to turn to you. Would you help me to do that? I want to know you through praise in a completely new way that I might too, just like Paul and Silas, have an unbreakable and unshakable missions, mind, and life. I want to be used by you. I want to have purpose. And if learning to worship you helps me in that, God, so be it. Show me. Show me how. In Jesus' name, amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.